let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Rev. Richard C. Whitcomb. Once upon a time, there was a young man named Sam who worked as a security guard at a factory. Sam's job was to be on the lookout for anyone stealing from the factory and to search all items going out of the compound. Well, one day, one of the factory workers came to the gate with a wheelbarrow full of items. Sam was sure he was stealing, so he stopped the man and demanded to search the wheelbarrow. But when he searched the contents of the wheelbarrow, Sam could only find rubbish. The worker insisted he was just removing the rubbish from the compound, so Sam had no choice but to let him out. The next week, the same man came back again with another wheelbarrow full of rubbish. Sam searched and searched but couldn't find anything valuable, so he let the man go through. This went on for months. But finally, one day, while Sam was on annual leave, his friend from work came by to give him the news. The man with the wheelbarrow had been arrested for stealing. I knew it, Sam shouted. I knew he was stealing. What was it he was stealing? Sam asked. Oh, his friend replied. They caught him stealing wheelbarrows. The thief wasn't stealing what was inside the wheelbarrow. He was stealing the wheelbarrows. And all those times Sam had searched diligently through the contents of the wheelbarrows for stolen items, but he overlooked the wheelbarrow itself. There's a powerful lesson for all of us in the story of Sam and the stolen wheelbarrows. You see, when you focus on the wrong things, you can miss the only thing that matters. That's the reason so many people today are caught up in superstition instead of experiencing God's supernatural. We're so focused on the wrong thing that we miss God. We focus our attention on the content, but we overlook the carrier. We look for the gift, but we neglect the giver. We focus on our need instead of his provision. We focus on our feelings instead of faith. We focus on what we can see and understand rather than the invisible, omnipotent power of God. We focus on human performance instead of God's promise. And in spite of all our efforts at religion, most people miss the supernatural. We fail to understand the source of the supernatural, so we end up living in superstition. So how can we avoid being deceived? How can we discern the difference between the true supernatural move of God and superstition? Well, that's what we're going to find out today in our sermon titled, Holy Ghost or Holy Oil. But before we learn more, let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you that you are the God of the miraculous, the God of the supernatural. You move in mysterious ways by the power of your Spirit in our lives. And I ask you today to open our hearts and minds that we can experience your supernatural presence. Give us understanding today that we will know and discern the difference between the Holy Ghost and Holy Oil, between your divine omnipotent power and the objects that symbolize that power. We submit to you now, we bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to give us wisdom, to discern between the supernatural and superstition. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Truth For Today. It's great to have you here with me as we continue our sermon series titled Supernatural 
or superstition. By God's grace, we're learning the truth that will help us avoid the deception of these end times. We began this series last week with the sermon, Man of God or Man of Greed. In Matthew 24, Jesus told us that there would be many false prophets in the last days, and they would deceive many people. He told us that if possible, even God's chosen servants would be deceived in the end times. And because of that, Jesus told us we have to do something. We have to take heed and be on guard. We have to learn the truth and discern the difference between human superstition and God's supernatural. So to help us learn the truth for today, we've prepared sermon notes. Your notes are available for free on all my sites, and I invite you to take out your notes now and follow along with me as we learn how to encounter the supernatural and avoid being deceived by superstition. There at the top of your notes is our scripture text for today. It's on your notes, and it's on the screen ahead of you. But God's word has the greatest impact when it's in our hearts and on our lips. So I invite you to read these verses out loud together with me. Let's read them like we mean them. Are you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Think about what these verses are telling us today. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can all experience his supernatural presence. Every single one of us now has direct access to God. Not by coming to a sacred temple, but by coming into his presence. We can all receive the supernatural power of God, not by objects made by man, but by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can receive from God, not by performing religious rituals, but by believing in his word. In other words, you and I can encounter God when we understand the source of the supernatural in our lives. So today, let's discover the three sources of the supernatural. And here's the first source for the supernatural in your life. The supernatural comes from God's omnipotence, not from objects. The word omnipotence simply means all-powerful. And when you realize that God is all-powerful, you begin to understand that no physical object can ever contain or compare to the presence of God. Since God is all-powerful, we cannot experience him through a simple created object. That's the lesson the Apostle Paul taught when he went to Athens. Athens was a city filled with religious superstition. There were so many gods and so many temples and so many prophets and altars everywhere. In fact, they were so superstitious, they had an altar to a god they called the unknown god. And when Paul saw their superstition, he realized that they had mistaken physical objects for God's omnipotence. So he addressed the people in Acts 17 and said this, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. 
Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands cannot serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So Paul is telling the people of Athens that God is too big and too powerful and too wonderful to be contained in an earthly object. He can't be compared to anything we see. Nothing physical can ever contain his great power. Paul takes the people away from the objects by explaining God's omnipotence. And he continues in Acts 7 and says, however, the Most High does not live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? And I've said it before and I'll say it again. God does not dwell in cathedrals. God dwells in his people. God doesn't come closer to us because we're in a beautiful building. I'm not against cathedrals. I'm not against church buildings. But I'm against putting your faith in a place instead of in his presence. I thank God for the building I'm in. I thank God for my church building. It keeps us out of the rain and protects us from the sun. It's good to have a building and the building should be nice. But we should never think that God's presence is attached to a place or an object or anything other than his spirit dwelling inside his people. God never dwells in cathedrals. He dwells in holy people. If God's holy people are in the cathedral, then God will be there. But if you fill a cathedral with liars and cheaters and ungodly people who do not have the spirit of Christ in them, then God will not be in that cathedral. And if Apostle Paul were here today, he would tell us the same thing he told the people of Athens. For even though centuries have come and gone, mankind is still like the people of Athens. We're superstitious. We focus on objects rather than his omnipotence. Let me give you some modern day examples. Many churches today use holy water as a means to get the miraculous. But there's not one, not one single command in the New Testament that tells us to use any type of holy water to obtain the presence of God. When a pastor prays over water and asks someone to drink it to be healed, that is superstition. When a pastor prays over water and tells someone to bathe with the water, that is superstition. Another example today of how the church is using objects in a superstitious way is with anointing oil. Anointing oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the same as the Spirit himself. In fact, there are only two. There are only two verses in the entire New Testament that talk about anointing someone with oil. And both of them speak about healing. We are never commanded to buy anointing oil. We're never commanded to drink anointing oil or bathe in it or keep it on a shelf as a good luck charm because the power is not in the oil. The power is in God's presence. 
See, if you believe the power is in God, not in the oil, it doesn't matter whether you have oil from Israel or oil from West Africa. The source of the power is not the oil, it's God. So even if you anoint someone with oil, don't focus on the oil, focus on God. Many people use a crucifix as an object of worship or protection, but God never, never once commands us to carry a cross or place it in the church or use it in worship or for protection. And when you place your hope in a piece of jewelry fashioned like a cross, you are denying the supernatural power of God and you're living in superstition. The fact is, these objects get in the way of God's power. When we focus on them, we lose sight of what God wants to do. And the problem is, when you try to boost your faith with an outward symbol, you're actually working against faith. For the fact is, the battle isn't won by boosting. The battle is won by believing. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. Trying can get in the way of trusting. You don't need props. You need his presence. You don't need an object. You need his omnipotence. That's the lesson we can learn from the tragic but true story of Robert Baldwin. Robert Baldwin is an American pastor who set up a ministry in Uganda, East Africa. But instead of ministering in line with the word of God, he began using superstition to prey upon his victims. Instead of relying on the omnipotence of the name of Jesus, Baldwin began distributing a special water he called MMS. According to Baldwin, MMS could cure diseases. It would heal people of HIV, AIDS, of cancer, and other diseases. If you listened to Baldwin, you would be convinced that MMS was sent by God to restore health, happiness, and hope to mankind. But what the people of Uganda didn't know is that MMS is actually bleach water. MMS is banned in the U.S. and it's banned in Europe. It's considered poisonous and dangerous. It can lead to vomiting, diarrhea, and life-threatening low blood pressure. Yet because people put their trust in an object more than God's omnipotence, more than 50,000 Ugandans took Baldwin's supposed miracle cure and drank bleach water. You don't need miracle water to get healed. You don't need a remedy or a cure from any man of God. You simply need God's power and God's presence and God's promise. And that doesn't come from water or oil or a crucifix. You get his presence and access his power when you seek him and surrender to him. See, that's God's purpose in his power, that we would experience him. That's why Paul continues preaching to Athens in Acts 17. Listen, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. So here's the end of the message. God wants to experience you personally, and he wants you to personally experience him directly. That's your purpose in life. Your purpose is not to possess objects of religion, but to possess the knowledge of his presence, to experience him in all his power and majesty and glory. That's why God says in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, 
Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And that brings us to our second source for the supernatural. The supernatural comes from God's spirit, not from symbols. See, superstition is filled with symbols. Superstition is the shadow of the substance. It's a reflection, but not the reality. What we need is the reality of God's presence, not just a reflection. This truth reminds me of the story of the chief who had a very beautiful wife. The chief gave her a lovely necklace with valuable beads, uh, which she wore every day. One day, while she was taking a bath, she took off her beads and left them outside. Well, just then, a crow was passing by and looked down and thought the beads were something edible. So he picked up the necklace and took it home to eat it. However, he soon discovered it was not good to eat at all, so he dropped it. And the necklace landed from the air in a tree overlooking a pool of water. Well, when the chief's wife discovered that her necklace was gone, she was upset and went home crying. When the chief heard the news, he offered a reward to anyone who would find the queen's necklace. It was not long after that that some farmers who were passing by the pool saw the necklace in the water. So they started shouting, we found the necklace, we found the necklace, eager for the reward. They all jumped into the pool of water to grab the necklace. But as soon as they jumped into the pool of water, the necklace disappeared. When they came out of the water, they saw the necklace again. Quite clearly, it was right there. Every one of them tried his luck to fetch the necklace, but none of them succeeded. Hmm. By this time, News reached the chief that the necklace had been found. He was now anxious to get the necklace himself so that he would not have to pay the reward, for he was now regretting that he'd made such an offer. So the chief went to the pool of water, and on reaching the pool of water, he himself saw the necklace. He did not hesitate to enter the muddy water, even though it would spoil his fine cloth. But once again, when the chief entered the water, the necklace disappeared. Just then, an old man standing on a hill overlooking the pool of water began to laugh. How foolish all of you look, the old man said. The people and the chief became very angry, and they shouted back at the old man. We are looking for the queen's necklace. Then you are indeed foolish, the old man replied. The queen's necklace is not in the pool of water. The queen's necklace is hanging on a branch of a tree overlooking the pool. All you see in the pool of water is a reflection. The reality is up above you. And so it was. They were seeing a reflection of the necklace in the water. But every time they went and troubled the water with their presence, the reflection disappeared. Reflection is not reality. And symbols are not the supernatural. God doesn't want us content with symbols. He wants us to experience his spirit. That's why Galatians 4, 6 says, because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. The evidence that you are a child of God is not a symbol you wear around your neck. 
but the spirit you receive. The supernatural doesn't occur in our lives because of anointing oil or a prayer cloth or a crucifix. The supernatural occurs whenever we connect with the God's Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's why 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 teaches us, it is this God who has made you and me into faithful Christians. He has put his brand upon us, his mark of ownership, and given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as guarantee that we belong to him and as the first installment of all that he's going to give us. God's Spirit in your heart is his guarantee that you belong to him. His Spirit in you is the means by which you encounter God. The problem for many people is that this way of experiencing God is new and different from what most people expect. All through history, mankind has used what I call the temple model to encounter God. Everybody say, the temple model. The temple model is a sacred place with a sacred text and sacred items administered by a sacred few. The sacred few control who has access And who can come into the sacred place? The sacred few manipulate the masses by superstition. And all religions in the world use the temple model. A few so-called sacred priests rule over a sacred place with a sacred text and sacred symbols to control the multitude with superstition. The fetish shrine is temple model. Islam is temple model. Catholicism is the temple model. The Old Testament is the temple model. And if we don't take care, many charismatic and Pentecostal churches follow the temple model. But here's what the Bible has to say about the temple model in Hebrews 8.5. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. So the temple model of a sacred place with sacred texts and sacred objects controlled by a sacred few is only a copy, it's only a shadow, it's only a symbol of the real supernatural. The temple model is not the way that you and I encounter God. The temple model was used by God in the Old Testament as an example, but it was never meant by God to be our method for encountering him. That's why Hebrews 8 continues in verse 6 and 7. But now, everybody say, but now. But now Jesus, somebody shout Jesus. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior. It's superior to the old priesthood. It's superior to the temple model. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. And I'm here to declare to you today that Jesus has come and brought a new way, a new model. He's come to bring a better way and a better model. He's come to remove and replace the old system of the temple model. And he brings us straight to God himself. He's replaced objects with God's omnipotence. He's replaced symbols with God's spirit. This is the new covenant we receive by faith. This is the new testament we have with God. We are his temple, not a national cathedral. He now dwells in us, and wherever we go, he goes. And instead of the temple model, we have the Jesus way. The Jesus way. 
a holy people filled with the Holy Ghost. For 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, you, you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. So put your hand on your chest and say, I am God's temple. God's spirit dwells in me. When we're filled with the spirit, we don't practice the temple model of superstition. We don't go to a sacred place. We are the sacred place. We don't use sacred objects to worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. We encounter the supernatural power and presence of God in our hearts as we yield to him. There's no need for the old practice of symbols any longer. In fact, Hebrews 8.13 says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. The temple model is obsolete. The system of superstition you've been following is obsolete. Religion based on objects and symbols and places and priests is obsolete. So stop putting your confidence in a dead work. Stop putting your confidence in an obsolete object and start putting your hope in the supernatural power of the living God. Stop trusting in symbols and start experiencing the spirit of God. Once a couple was given a beautiful picture book about Ghana, where I live. This couple had never visited Ghana, but when they looked at the book and saw all the beauty of our homeland, they became so interested they decided to visit Ghana. So they booked their flights and arrived at Kotoka International Airport here in Accra. But instead of going on a tour, they went straight to their hotel room. They sat in their hotel and got out their book and started looking at all the pictures of Ghana. They saw Aburi Gardens and Lake Volta and Blee Falls and Cocoon Park and Mole and Cape Coast. It was so lovely to look at. But no matter how great the pictures are, looking at a book of scenery can never compare to being there in person and experiencing the beauty of Ghana. And that's how it is for us. The Old Testament, with its symbols and shadows, was simply designed to attract our attention so that we would seek and pursue the real thing, the relationship with God. And that's what we can do now. For God has called us to relationship with him, not religion. He's called us to be in his presence, not just to sing about his presence. He's destined us to share life with him, not to simply visit him once a week on Sunday if we have a chance. Once there was a woman who tried to conceive with her husband for many years without success. But by God's special grace, after 10 long years of disappointment, this woman finally became pregnant and eventually delivered a bouncing baby boy. Hallelujah! But because she had waited so long for this child, she was afraid to leave her boy with anyone. She wouldn't allow anyone to carry the child or feed him or bathe him or do anything for her son. Eventually, the woman became so worn out and tired, she collapsed. Then the doctor told her she had to get some rest and she had to get out of the house and take a break. So reluctantly, this mother agreed to hire a nanny to come in and care for her baby while she went out to the spa to relax. 
Now, on that fateful day, the mother packed up everything the baby would need while she was gone, and she left all the items with the nanny. She packed the baby blanket, the baby pillow, the baby bed, the baby bottle, the baby food, the baby toys, and the baby dresses. She left everything with the nanny, kissed her son goodbye, and went to the spa. But unfortunately, while the mother was gone to the spa, something terrible happened. The nanny left the baby in his cot and went to take a nap. And when the nanny woke up, the child was missing. Someone had come into the house and stolen the baby. Well, you can imagine how the mother reacted when she came home and found out that her beloved son, her only son, who she waited 10 years for, her son was gone. She started screaming and shouting and crying and shaking. Hey, hey. It was so horrible, all the neighbors came to find out what was wrong. But when the neighbors found out that the baby boy was missing, they just shrugged their shoulders. And they said to the mother, calm down, calm down. It's okay, don't worry. The baby is gone, but at least you have all the items that belong to the baby. You have the baby blanket, the baby pillow, the baby bed, the baby bottle, the baby food, the baby toys, and the baby dresses. Look, they're all here. You can just put these things around the parlor, and they will remind you of your baby. You won't miss him at all. You don't need the baby because you have all the things that remind you of his presence. But the mother started shouting, no, I don't care about the baby blanket. I don't need the baby pillow. Without my baby, what will I do with the baby bed or the baby bottle? Will I eat the baby food? Will I play with the baby toys or wear the baby dresses? I don't want the baby's things. I want my baby. That mother would never be content to sit around looking at the baby items without the presence of her baby. So why are you content to sit around looking at the things of God when you don't have the presence of God in your life? Why are you content to go to church once in a while and sing about God and talk about God and listen to stories about God? when the presence of God is not with you. You're caught up in external symbols, but ignore the reality. You're chasing a prophet, but you don't have God's presence. You're clinging to a form and a shadow, but you're neglecting the Spirit of God. The New Testament church is different than the Old Testament because we have a different system, a different model, a new and better way. It's a living way. It's not based on outward external practices. It's not a sacred place with sacred objects and a sacred text administered by a sacred few. It's based on internal transformation that comes from the indwelling presence of God. It's based on God's living spirit, not dead symbols. See, Jesus didn't die just to replace one religion with another. He didn't die and rise again just to trade one outward ritual for a different outward ritual. He died to bring us to God and to be the place where he dwells. For Ezekiel says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take 
take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That's a promise from God. And that brings us to our third source for the supernatural. The supernatural comes from God's promise, not from your performance. For God has promised us his spirit. We don't need to strive for it. We simply need to receive it by faith. For Galatians 3 says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Paul continues to show us that the Spirit comes by faith in the promise of God, not by performance. The temple model cannot bring you the presence of God any longer. In verse 5 he says, Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. You don't encounter the supernatural because of good works you do. You don't get it because you bring an offering to a man of God. You don't experience miracles because of anointing oil or holy water or because of any performance. You receive the supernatural. You receive the spirit of the living God. You receive the power of God when you believe the promise of God. For he's promised this to us. In John 7, Jesus said, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. And I'm here to declare to you today, if you will believe in him, rivers of living water are flowing into you right now. The presence of God is flowing. It's not anointing oil. It's not holy water. It's not a crucifix. You don't need a man of God. You need Jesus. Jesus, so open your heart and receive. You don't need a specific atmosphere to experience the supernatural. You already have everything you need. You have the promise of God. And when you believe his promise, you have his spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. So often we miss experiencing God because we base our faith on our circumstances rather than on his promise. We miss God because we think he's only close to us in a cathedral or when the band is playing and the choir is singing. We expect God in a revival program or a big conference, but we miss encountering the supernatural every day because we think his presence requires a particular environment or atmosphere to operate in. That's the lesson we can learn from the day that Joshua Bell played his violin on the street. You may not have heard of him, but Joshua Bell is a world-famous violinist. He plays in concert halls around the world and earns up to $1,000 per hour. His violin is reportedly worth $3.5 million. Aye! But in January 2007, a journalist with the newspaper called the Washington Post made an arrangement with Joshua Bell to conduct an experiment. Joshua Bell put on a cap and stood in a subway station in Washington, D.C., and he played his violin incognito for 45 minutes. 
Now, three days before he appeared in the station in Washington, incognito, this same man had filled the house at Boston's Symphony Hall, where good seats cost $100 each. Two weeks later, at the Music Center at Strathmore in North Bethesda, this same man would play the same violin to a standing room only audience. But on this particular morning, Joshua Bell went incognito, hidden under a cap, playing on the street. And though he played perfectly, the same beautiful music he played in concert halls, in 45 minutes he was there, over 1,097 people passed him by and only seven stopped briefly to listen. Only one recognized him. Away from the concert hall, away from the lights and the stage, away from the glitz and the glamour, people did not recognize who he was. They didn't expect this great musician to play on the street. So they missed out on something rare and special. And that's what happens to us. So often we miss encounters with God because we don't expect to experience him in ordinary life. We believe he will visit us in a cathedral, but we don't expect him to meet us in a cafe. We believe he will move in a prayer camp, but not in public transport. We believe he dwells in glitzy, glamorous, gold symbols, but we fail to recognize that he's here with us on the sidewalks, in the dirt of everyday life. See, the supernatural presence of God doesn't depend on a place or a performance or a prophet. We don't need to have the right dress or the right offering or the right person. We can expect to encounter God where we are because that's what he promised. He gave us a promise, the promise to be with us, the promise to meet us, the promise to fill us with his spirit. It's a promise he gave for every one of us. In Joel 2, he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why you don't need a feeling or an emotion to encounter God. You don't need to be with certain people or be in a certain place. You can encounter God right now, right here, right where you are because he promised he's with you. He's here. He's all around you. And when you believe in Jesus and surrender to him, he is in you. And you can experience the supernatural every day, everywhere you go. You don't have to be in a temple or a church. You don't have to be surrounded by saints or be led in prayer by priests. You don't need a crucifix, anointing oil, or a prophet shouting prayers. You don't need a band playing and a worship team singing. There's nothing wrong with those things, but they are not the basis for experiencing God. The basis for experiencing God is his promise. It's not superstition, it's supernatural. And it comes to us through the power of God. We encounter the supernatural through his omnipotence, not through objects. We encounter the supernatural through his spirit, not through symbols. And it comes to us by his promise, not our performance. He promised he will do it. Believe in him, surrender to him, receive the power, the presence, 
and the promise of God by faith today. For in Acts 2, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So hear and heed the invitation given to all of us today by Jesus himself in Revelation 22, 17. Let anyone who's thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Come to him. Worship him. Receive the supernatural. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone watching and listening today. Lord, pour out the power of your presence, the power of your Holy Ghost, because of your promise today, as we turn our hearts to you, we renounce objects, we renounce rituals, we renounce the Old Testament model, and we come clinging to you and you alone. Jesus, your blood opens a way for us to the presence of God. Now, Lord, cleanse us by your blood. Fill us with your spirit. Receive us into your supernatural presence. We thank you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.